Welcome everyone to this episode of Get 30 in 30, the only physical therapy marketing podcast out there that is done for you by a physical therapist, but also a business strategist who's been in the game for almost 20 years. Yes, this is your host, Dr. Joe Simon, and most of you know me from uh, the Private Practice Business Academy. Uh, on this new podcast, it's a new platform, new podcast Still the same old, old me, so you got the same old vibe, but this is going to be super cool, guys. This platform has made it so easy for me to take it anywhere. So I can interview my network. I can interview people that I am at a meeting with. I can interview people anywhere, and what's great is you guys, you basically are a fly on the wall. So let's dive into this episode because you know what's so great about this episode? I get to interview Mr. Craig Ferrara. And if you don't know Craig, Craig's the CEO of Survival Strategies. Now, Survival Strategies has been around for a long time. If you're a physical therapist, you've probably heard of them. Uh, they've been consulting for over 20-something years. So look, we know in the last few years, a lot of consultants have popped up from everywhere. And that's cool. I am so excited that everyone's here that's helping to grow the profession because that is the point. We want to get it to the point where the profession can stand up and not be knocking on doors anymore, right? We, uh, I'm tired of asking for permission to do everything. And I can't tell you how many physical therapists are out there that are still asking for permission. So that's why I want to dive into this episode because I asked Craig that same exact question. Craig, what do you think about this whole concept of asking for permission? The stage. Because most of them will give away the shop. They're in sympathy with the patient. They think the charges are too much. You follow me? Yeah. Um, and so just let them treat and let somebody else handle. Just make sure they document, of course, properly. And let somebody else handle the finances. And in some cases, they don't even know what the charges and the collections are. That's one level of practice, by the way. There's another level of practice that we have done with our clients where the therapists do know the finances because they're tied into it. You follow? Absolutely. Their, their pay is based on what they produce. So they need to know, which by the way is a good model. And I've seen it being done more often than it ever was before, which is great news. Um, so that's the cash thing. Now you asked me something else about insurance. Yeah. Right? Okay. Well, you know, I've been in this game so long. It was a beautiful thing before managed care came aboard. I mean, it really was. We were mostly in, in California at that time. You'd send out your bills, you'd get paid. Real simple. Um, I'm not going to get into managed care itself, but I, had, I attended a meeting with the people that orchestrated managed care in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, in the early 90s. It was a fascinating meeting. <laughs> uh, my point is, is that they brought in middlemen, basically. They, you know, they designed a new structure of, of, for people to make money other than the healthcare providers. And it was terrible. And in my viewpoint, it still is. And then the reimbursement rates just keep getting cut, 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 cut. And frankly speaking, the insurance industry itself is operating. Now, this is my opinion <laughs> from sort of a criminal viewpoint. It's actually a bit criminal. What do I mean? It's not paying people what they should be being paid. Why doesn't a PT make as much as a good lawyer? You follow? Yeah. It's like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> Where did this get lost in society? You know, you pay a lawyer four or five hundred bucks an hour these days for a good one, maybe sometimes more. And the PT's making, you know, maybe 
80 bucks back in New York is crazy. 56, 64, 68, upstate New York, 42. I mean, you know, what is this all about? Well, this is my opinion, Joe, again. See, the profession wasn't organized enough when managed care hit. It's more organized than it was back then. Because if the profession would have stood up as one body and said, no, you follow? Yeah. No, we're not going to do this. We need to get paid what we're supposed to get paid. And if they were organized into groups, you know, where there's a comparable magnitude, it's called, one practitioner trying to handle the insurance company, that's impossible. Well, 500 private practices trying to do something, that's different. <laughs> but that just takes that getting all organized. So, um, I don't know. I've seen the insurance go down. It's probably going to go down further. Um, of course, what that had to do was people had to learn how to treat patients, maintain their quality, but more patients per hour. I mean, you didn't. There wasn't really any kind of option. You follow? Absolutely. Back back in the 80s, it was okay, one one patient an hour. Not a problem. No problem at all. Not now. Not now at all. PTAs are great. They help. Aids and techs are used sometimes. And the other thing I've learned is that you cannot mess with the quality. That eventually caves in a practice. It might not in the beginning, but it does, period. We tell all our clients, listen, you have to maintain the quality of your, of your treatment, no matter what we do on the business side. Because we've learned that no matter what we do on the business side, if you futz around with the quality, it's not going to work. <laughs> And we all know that that's, that's true. Although we do see people, I hear about it quite often, some, you know, shake and bake shop, still, you know, four patients an hour. You follow? Yep. Five patients or six patients an hour. Um, but they eventually, uh, the public is where you go to in that case, by the way. Yeah. If the public, under, yeah, you, if the customer understands that, wait a minute, there's a different quality available here that I did not know about. That's where they'll go. Absolutely. I mean, that's where I would go as a consumer. Joe, does this help? Does this answer some of these questions? Absolutely. I think we, we've hit on so many things. I'm, I'm, so uh, as most people know, I jot down as, as my... Uh, as the interview is going along, so I have so many more questions as they pop up. So this is great. Um, and I look at it as the same way as someone listening is, is, is thinking right now. So I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit. You made a, you made a quick comment, and I want to make sure the audience grasps that because I, I think it's very valuable because I've done it in, in my own practices at one point where you spoke about, um, you know, the eat to kill model, right? So, or the kill to eat model, I'm sorry. So where the, the, the employees now have a share in the practice by, you know, producing results, right? So performance pay, some call performance pay. So um, maybe you can talk about that, how you've seen that increase and change over time and um, what model do you see working really well in, 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 in practices today? Absolutely. There's a principle, very simple financial principle. It's the three times it's called. If you pay a therapist a hundred grand a year, they must bring you in three hundred. Okay. If it's not three times the salary, you're going to have financial trouble. You won't be able to expand. You won't make enough money to reinvest into the practice. Of course, that other two thirds of that money goes to all the expenses that. Um, a staff therapist doesn't even understand exist.
so they don't get it you follow ok so three times is supposed to be the minimum in pediatrics that sometimes a bit hard by the way but in a standard physical therapy practice we'll call it standard whatever that means right the salary needs to be three times now ideally it's five times and there are folks that have gotten to that stage by the way so how does that work you create a financial model you know it's three times you can start giving away bonuses when it gets above the three times let's say that I don't know you pay somebody a hundred grand and he brings you in three hundred and twenty grand well that little extra twenty grand is something that could be calculated into a bonus system ok you follow yeah that's one way that's one way to do it some of the clients that I know of that are doing this strictly what they do is they set a certain level of visits they translate it all the way down to visits knowing what the visits are going to equate to in money and let's say that they say well you need to do sixty visits a week that's what we call your bottom line I'm paying you a salary I'm exchanging with you your salary what you're exchanging back to me is a quality delivery of a minimum of sixty visits a week that's the exchange concept I'm not just paying you to be here and sit around when there's downtime right matter of fact when there's downtime when you work in my practice you're supposed to help on PR and marketing which is the ideal by the way that's another subject all staff should be all staff should be involved in the PR and marketing of the practice they just gotta know what to do most people say they don't want to do it because they just don't know what to do ok so there's the three times rule you can get away with it being a little under if you watch your other expenses but as we all know a basic principle in any business is nothing stays the same nothing it either improves or it contracts it'll never maintain the same level that's a natural law I mean you put your car in the garage and if you do nothing to it well eventually it's going to deteriorate so what's the point you have to keep expanding and I'm not just talking about numbers numbers quality you know the whole bit that's what has to happen the practices that get three times and above are very viable financially viable the practices that are getting two times or under are constantly a problem by the way on the financial on the financial end does that help absolutely that's a great that gives the audience a great insight on actual numbers which is good three times is kind of the base that I think we've all gone by five times is I don't think I've ever even equated anyone to come up to five times I think three times is almost like we need three times the investment return to us right so any almost any investment is what almost everyone looks at so I love the way how you translated that over to how a practice owner should look at it as well I think that's a big takeaway for the for the audience to go back okay I'm sorry Craig go ahead no no go ahead okay I was I was gonna go back from that point I was actually gonna say so now that they have that and you you jump you kind of jumped into where the staff should also know about PR and marketing so here I am I'm gonna play devil's advocate I'm gonna say Greg 
I don't want my staff to learn marketing always. They're going to break off and they're going to do their own thing. Now, this is something that uh, one of my own um, partners uh, a while back mentioned to me. And, you know, and I, I sat there and I told him, I said, that's being very small minded. But, you know, I'm not going to sway you with my kind of response on this. I want to get your response on this. And how would you feel about that comment towards staff learning marketing? Well, this is a huge subject. <laughs> uh, because, see, my entire company was formed on getting new patients into a private practice. That's our core competency. We do it a little bit differently, though, than pretty much anyone else. Because we, don't, we do it, and we still do it to this day, no matter social media, the internet, etc., on developing relationships in a specific manner with referral sources. Because once that's, that relationship is developed and maintained, you don't have any marketing expenses except your time. You follow? Yeah. Um, and, a good, and a good referral source can be worth a lot of money. Now, here's the deal. The, the relationships developed with referral sources is supposed to be done by the owner of the practice that you were alluding to. Yeah. That's correct. There is another level that we've taken many of our clients to, within we've trained their therapists because their, um, their referral base is too big. Mm -hmm. One of my largest clients in Southern California, we took her out of school mm -hmm. from nothing to 65 staff, six people in her marketing division, 2,000 referral sources. Oh, my God. It a, yeah, it was a gigantic <laughs> practice out here. It was my first client, 1985. Well, there was a point where there's no way that the owner <laughs> yeah. can maintain those relationships. So we divided the, the referral base up. We trained therapists on the same thing we trained the owner in. Now, did it happen in some occasions that these folks leave and try to open up their other, uh, other practice? Sure. But what you need to have is you need to have good non-compete clauses. Mm -hmm. You do. Whether or not they stand up in court, at least it's somebody's word. You follow? Yeah. And number and number two, don't let that hold back on your expansion. Don't let that put you in a spot where you're worried about expanding, because oh gee, you know somebody's going to leave. My 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 partner used to have this great statement. He would say, "Well, listen, what if you don't train your staff and they stay?" Hmm. You follow? Yeah. So it would be, well, what if you train your staff and they leave? That would always be the first thing. Oh, my gosh. Well, what if you don't train your staff and they stay? <laughs> <laughs> What's worse, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly it's worse. Yeah. You mean you need to know your people, of course. I mean, if you have any doubts about someone um, concerning their uh, personality or what they may do or if you can predict their behavior a bit and you can see that, well, wait a minute, I don't really trust this person, then you wouldn't do it. But let me go back to this. There are activities, first of all, in any group, the culture that should be created, this is not just my opinion, just think about it. Mm -hmm. Every member of that group has their own individual job. That's absolutely correct. And they need to be professional at that job. They have another job, which is called a team member or a staff member, or a group member, or whatever you want to call it. It's actually another job they have, which has its own job description. 
that job description has to do with the p r and marketing and the presentation of the business to the community you follow that's the that's the ideal but what happens sometimes once again is nobody's trained so they don't know what to have their people do right yeah for instance we've designed all kinds of things for staff to do to get involved in the marketing process one of them is very simple the therapists who may have downtime well what can they do they need to call their past patients they need to do like a callback program call their discharges that they completed 30 days ago 60 days ago 90 days ago and just do a nice courtesy pr call to see what's going on with the patient that can result in two things great pr you follow yes because it shows the care factor and number two it's possible that the patient may need to come back in based on that phone call you follow yeah it's it's one thing that a any therapist could do and should do if they have quote unquote have downtime um when when the staff are out in the community uh do they know how to talk to the practice to people more normally they don't um or they don't know they don't have any marketing vehicles or materials not that they're out passing out flyers well there's nothing wrong with that but you know they're not necessarily doing that um once again they're just not trained on how to present the practice to the community they need training that's the whole point so craig to to uh to just touch on that would and we we touched on sales earlier in this in this conversation is that something that you've seen work by training the staff in sales yeah absolutely absolutely it works if but here, here's the deal mm-hmm. the first thing you, the first thing you normally get with a group when you mention that okay you now have a pr and marketing hat is either a revolution <laughs> right or a glazed look as they nod their heads you know well yeah i guess that's what we need to do but listen it all comes down honestly they just don't know comfortably what to do so their resistance is based on the fact of sales marketing I, i'm not going to do that I, it's not part of my job yeah well you, you follow so on some nice gradual basis getting them involved in something that they can do that they're comfortable to do is the way to do it so they can have some success at it and then you expand that knowledge a little bit more and have them do a bit more um one of our top clients uh every week every one of their therapists which is about um i think it's 25 15 or 25 they go out and do public speaking okay every week and that's marketing they go out and do public speaking to get the word out about physical therapy to the general public because frankly speaking if you go out on the streets and ask people what's pt what's ot what's slp you know any of these disciplines what do you think you're going to hear <laughs> exactly <laughs> if, you know pts they they just they show you how to exercise right or they uh, they help you when you get an accident or uh you know it's it's a it's a void of understanding on what these professions can actually do for people so who's responsible for that well the practice the members of that practice are responsible to get the word out about that what they're able to do for people which is tremendous to the community 
Did that answer your question, Joe, a little bit? Absolutely. I think uh, that's a lot of insight, and you you touched on one last piece about public speaking, which most you know uh, most clinicians technically are speaking in front of a, a group of people all day, every day, right? It's not like they're hiding behind a computer, so they don't realize that they are speaking. But I can tell you from past experience when I've had uh, some of my own clinicians that uh, work for me go out and, and do something all of a sudden they freeze up and they can't, they can't do what they already know. And I tell them, like, this is the same conversation we would have in the clinic. The only difference is you're just not in the clinic. And it's, uh, it's amazing how that, just that change of location could change a person, right? So it's, again, I'm not a, 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 um, a, a expert in public speaking, but, you know, I think uh, being, uh, have taken some courses in public speaking or just getting the knack of it and imparting that knowledge to my staff has really helped. Okay, good. You want me to talk on that topic a bit? Sure, public speaking. And how did you, number one, how did you convince them to do it? Is the, uh, <laughs> it's probably the, the biggest thing everyone's probably thinking of right now. Like, because you made, you made a comment. You said uh, the most common thing they hear their staff say back to them is, you know, it's not my job. Well, I also have to do PR and marketing. Like, it, am I getting paid for this? Like, this is, this is probably the comments that they would get from their employees. Well, here's the thing. The first thing the owner needs to do is adopt an issue of policy in the company that, 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 that indicates that you have two jobs here. Mm -hmm. You follow? Yeah. And any new hires, of course, would be presented with that so they know right off the bat that they have two jobs here. And that we will be providing you with certain PR and marketing efforts that you can help with. See, if there's not any kind of policy on it, then you know people just think it's somebody's bright idea. A policy is supposed to have authority, right? Yes. Um, so, so that's the deal on that. So that's one of the first things that has to happen. It has to become part of the culture of the business. The problem with that is when you already have existing staff, you have to make a change. And one of the um, one way you make a change is you do a survey first, Joe. Okay. You don't just dictate. You don't just authoritize that. Okay, everybody, you're now PR and marketing people because I say so. Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> so there has to be an internal survey done of the staff properly, a properly conducted survey to get their, get their, their, you know, their ideas, their reactions to it. What, what do they think about it? You know, we're thinking about doing this. We'd like to get your input. Um, are there things in this area that you know you know how to do? Would you be interested in being involved in things that you could do from your position? You know, just some surveys. That's all. Uh, which, by the way, is the first step in any marketing, which is another thing we can get into if you want. Okay. But then you'd have to adopt and provide them with things to do. Now, let's just talk about public speaking because that's the topic. Is that okay? Yep. Okay. It's the same principle I mentioned before. We train, what we did with uh, the client staff is we train them. We train them in public speaking. Well, how do you do that? There's a couple of real simple principles. There's a checklist on how you're supposed to design a, a talk, first of all. You hopefully have found out before you even arrived to the audience that you know what they want to hear about, which is, again, a survey. Because <laughs> you, you may be presenting something. Well, here's an analogy. If you don't find out what the audience wants beforehand, being a musician, let me give you a great analogy. I play rock and roll, blues, and jazz, Joe. Okay. So I'm on stage, and the audience, which I didn't know, is a classical audience. 
and i start blowing and i start blowing out loud rock and roll they're going to throw me out right yeah and by the way i did this once a long time ago it was a big mistake and i learned that mistake that wait a minute you need to know who your audience is before you present any kind of public talk which is done with a survey what do they want to know like for instance an example you could get a survey done in a company on ergonomics and does the owner think it'd be a good idea to come in and do something to you know show the folks that are sitting around all the time doing nothing um you know some benefits for them physically well you will get agreement on that you follow yeah but okay but here here's the thing people have to practice doing a talk so have them practice on the staff you follow mm -hmm. but there is there's there's one rule nobody in that staff can invalidate whatever the person does because all that'll do is introvert them uh. they cannot say they can't laugh or say oh that's terrible or <laughs> 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 they got to shut up basically and uh let the person actually practice uh, but the biggest mistake that people make in public speaking are two. One, they don't survey the audience first. Two, they don't know how to end the talk and get prospects. Hmm. And this is the biggest problem. I've heard so many times, if you go out into oh, I go out into public speaking, then what happens? Well, nobody calls me. Oh, or nobody contacts me. It's a waste of time. They sort of blame the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've heard that. I've heard that before, Craig. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they they sort of blame the audience. So I say, well, what do you do when you're done? Well, we pass out cards and blah blah blah. And they said, no, 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 no. This is what you do. I wrote an article on this, by the way, if you ever want to see it. Here's what you do. Just before you're ready to end the talk, you, and you don't say you're ending the talk because they'll start getting up. Say, by the way. I'm going to pass out something that I need you to fill out, and the reason for this is I'm always looking at improving what I'm doing. So I'd like to get your input on how this talk went today. You get the stuff passed out. You make sure you got enough pencils and pens, and basically it states I'm always looking at improving what I'm doing, and I could really appreciate I would really appreciate your input on the talk today. You know, one, what one thing did you obtain out of this? out of this talk that you think could help you cool if i was to improve anything in my presentation what would that be three was there anything that you wanted to find out more about that i didn't cover if so let me know how to contact you name email phone best time to call now you will get people that will fill that out with the bottom they heard something and they wanted to know more about it and you didn't have time to cover it that's how you get prospects out of a public talk. That's great, Craig. Okay. I, I that's a that's a great example. I think uh, there's a lot of takeaway on that. I'm going to share something that I've done and I've trained some of my therapists on as well. Um, and it's very simple. All we do is we just ask for uh, you know basic uh, case studies or examples or does anyone in the audience have uh, you know have this? And then we kind of walk through an example with them. And try to give them some solutions in in the in the in the time while we're doing the the, um, the presentation. So by the end of the presentation, if you did at least three or four 
samples or case studies, as I call them. I do case studies during the presentation. By the end, we look around and say, hey, we have, you know, the, you've seen how we've helped someone already, right? Which is basically a, a testimonial that's already been given during the, the talk. And it works very well. So it's not really a, a hard sell. It's very soft, just like the example that you just gave just now, which, which is great, right? You're handing out something and saying, I would love some feedback on my, um, on my talk, which is, which is also an excellent way to do it as well. So I think there's two points right there that someone can take away right now and, and implement immediately with their staff. And like I said, it's, it's something we already do in nature is speak to people all day long. So I think it's, it's, part, right. of, it's part of something we do. Um, yeah, Joe, your, yeah. your, your example you just gave, that's killer. That is, if you can show people what you do, like right there, right now, that that's better than anything anybody could ever do. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah, there's some there's some techniques that we've added to that over the years. We've realized that sometimes you know you bring someone up in front of the group and you say and you know obviously uh, just some touch points. Hey, does it hurt here? Or someone's talking about their shoulder, their neck, their back. And I got to be honest, I you know I didn't come up with this. I actually learned this uh, from a chiropractor. And it was actually absolutely amazing how he controlled the room. And I was like, this is amazing how he has so many people lined up afterwards. Obviously, they do something slightly different. He can do a very fast adjustment and, you know, and he can demonstrate it. But the key was that he was able to demonstrate. And I, and I always say that to um, all clinicians. If you can demonstrate what you do and if you can d do it by just words only, I, you win, you know. So if your communication is that good that you can just demonstrate it that way, um, that's a that's a winning technique right there. And I think a lot of the points you were bringing up, I want to just touch on this as well, is based on communication. Almost everything, talking to your staff, talking to the public, uh, you know, talk, talking to the owner if you're not the owner, or if you are the owner and you have to, you know, be able to. Uh, direct your staff you know and the first thing you said obviously was giving out that survey but all of this is is a level of communication maybe we can chat on that as one of our last topics and just um uh go through that what how have you seen communication benefit a practice or even hurt a practice well here's the thing i don't know if you've ever heard of this statement but communication is like the universal solvent joe <laughs> when you think when you think when you step back and think about it it is Mm -hmm. It is the universal solvent, um, and meaning that if you just keep communicating, you can normally take care of anything. The problem is, is people stop, or they don't know where to go, or they're afraid to communicate, because sometimes it's tough, right? Yeah. But the communication is an entire topic. Uh, here's the thing, let me, I like speaking in analogies. Most therapists that I've ever met are fantastic with their patients. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. They already have a great communication skill. I've always known that if I could wave a magic wand and say, hey, if we can just take the skill you have with patients and translate that over to developing relationships with doctors, we'd have a home run. <laughs> <laughs> so... But the confusion between that skill translated into a different environment is what a lot of the folks um, battle with because sometimes they're not comfortable, we have found, for some reason, interacting with a, an, a, a doctor. You know, who knows what that is? Everybody has their own reasons. They're maybe intimidated or they don't know what to do or say or 
talk. You follow? Yeah. Talking, talking becomes a solution to not really being able to control the conversation to some kind of beneficial end result. So they just talk. Um, I'll give you one gigantic tip in communication, because that's what we train our clients in, by the way. That is the subject, is communication. One great, great tool in communication is what's called the term interest. Now, what do I mean? There's two sides of interest. There's interesting, mm-hmm. and there's interest, and there's interested. Correct? Yes. Okay. A lot of folks stick on the interesting, like me. I'm talking now. I'm supposed to be quote-unquote interesting, and hopefully <laughs> the people that are listening are interested. Being interested is more important, and it's also an old philosophical principle that the wise man is the one that listens, not the one that talks. I'm sure everyone's heard that before. Mm-hmm. So, what am I talking about? I've noticed a lot of folks, their ability to listen, especially the things that are not comfortable, or that they're not certain what's going to happen, they, they, they tune out, or they don't find out about it. You, you follow? So they, their listening skills are not good enough. <laughs> um, one of the ways to improve listening skills, of course, is sit down with somebody and just kind of role play and say, look, it, there's some things I'm very uncomfortable hearing about, and I want you to just sit in front of me and tell them to me. <laughs> and I, I'm going to just try and sit here and listen without reacting, right? <laughs> um, which is another thing. So communication is a huge topic. I mean, we could talk for hours. Once again, let me go back to a basic principle I touched upon earlier. The front desk is one of the most important aspects of in, in, in any practice. Would you agree, Joe? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And what are they doing? They're communicating, period, all the time, all the time. But has anybody had them practice communicating? Like, you know, like, Craig, well, what do you mean? Well, wait a second. Has anybody sat down and listed out, here's the scenarios that a patient could tell you. They could call up and say they're not feeling well today and they don't want to come in. Uh, they can call up and say, uh, well, I, I found out it's cheaper over at the other place. They can call up and say, uh, I don't want to come back anymore. Uh, they can call up and be upset. A referral source can call in upset. Well, what do they do with that communication? So my point being is that someone needs to have them practice. Okay, the patient says this, how do you handle it? Okay, let's, let's see, is there any other way to handle it? And some front desks in their communication skills don't understand the purpose of their job, meaning the purpose of their job is to make sure that those patients get in the door pretty much no matter what. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so the mamby-pamby, it's called, or namby-pamby, I think that's the word. They're too soft. Mm-hmm. They're too soft-celled in their communication. They need to bring it back, if they're practiced at it, to the treatment. You follow? Yeah. They need to bring it, they need to bring it back to that. Um, now, do you, but should you give me any questions that you have in communication? Because it's such a huge topic. It's a, it's a it's a massive topic, and you know what I liked about it is you brought it over to the front desk. So it's not just the the owner about communication. And the the one thing that we realize is, and something that I've um, 
trained on with my to train my staff on is is more about rapport and you said that great line about being interesting or interested and it's always better to be interested right so it's uh it's you know so you that's how you build rapport if some you know and that is probably one of the most key things that I discuss with my staff all the time is about how to build rapport, how to, how to um, what to look for. And we have a few touch points on that. So the staff knows like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. This is how I do it, which again, it's all about training. Um, and again, you're saying it with that front desk, it's um, <laughs> to understand what their role is, but you made a really good point at the end and you said they're too soft. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because I think uh, a lot of practice owners, and, and this is outside of physical therapy as well, this is every practice that I've probably walked into, physician, dental, their front desk, there is the, the too soft feature even when they have to speak to an insurance company or even when they have to you know pick up a call from a doctor or even if they have to deal with that irate patient. You know, maybe we can discuss that a little bit about that being too soft and how can we fix that? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They have to really understand what the purpose of their job is. And a lot of times people don't know what that is. They don't understand that the, the purpose of their job is not to just go into agreement with what the patient says about their schedule. And it's not just to go into agreement with an irate person they have to know how to handle that communication so that it changes into something that is more appropriate for accomplishing their purpose. Now, that's stated, that's a philosophical concept, correct? Yes. <laughs> the, the worst person to have, by the way, at the front desk, or especially the worst person to have that collects your money, is somebody that's not aggressive. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. You have to have somebody that's, that's aggressive enough to kindly get in the face of a patient or an insurance person or whatever, kindly, I'm not saying not kindly, and push it through to taking care of what the patient should be receiving as to treatment. You follow what I mean? Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, I hope I'm communicating this. You cannot have a soft cell front desk, or especially a soft cell person in your money area. People need to be aggressive. Now, how can you tell in an interview if somebody's aggressive? I can tell you, Joe, if you want to know. Sure, of course. This is gold stuff here. It's real, Craig. <laughs> it's, real, yeah. it's real simple. Now, there's, there's, there's a pendulum swing here. When I'm interviewing someone for sales, or if I'm interviewing someone that need that I know needs to be aggressive, means to have the, now when I say aggressive, I mean they have to have the ability to control another person. That's what I'm talking about. And direct them to what is supposed to be happening. That's all I mean. Okay. And not back off, unless they want to back off. I mean, you know, if you don't like somebody enough, then don't talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> But the when I'm interviewing someone, I look for the aggression. If it's for the and what do I mean? Are they are they butting in? You follow? Yeah. Are they butting in on the communication and going? You know, I'm in the middle of saying something. They just they get right in there. So now you know. Wait a second. I think that you know da 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 da. But I mean, that's a pendulum swing. If it's very grossly inappropriate, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But if it's just a sign of, of good aggression. 
you know like listen i want this job i you know this is this is i'm saying whatever i'm saying and they just come right in with some kind of aggressive communication that doesn't bother me you follow then that's one thing the person that just sits there and doesn't say too much and just answers my questions and never originates communication well no that's that person's kind of dead to be frank so you know you need somebody that's really alive and doesn't that doesn't it it doesn't bother them if they have to actually impinge on another now let me let me just paint a picture therapists all the time have to tell patients sometimes things that maybe are uncomfortable like sue joe you you have to do these exercises you follow if you don't do these exercises you're not going to get any better so we established the goals in the beginning to get those goals done these are the things that you have to do and the patient comes back and they didn't do them well if the patient if the therapist is going to soft sell they'll just go into agreement with that and that's the end of that well that's not responsibility that's actually your responsibility that person's responsibility is to get that patient through the treatment plan correct yes so if they have to push that patient a little bit to get them through it then they have they need to do it if they're uncomfortable doing it what my message keeps coming back to is they need to practice doing it that's all they need to just practice it so the aggressiveness at the front desk is extremely important but then again if they haven't practiced the different scenarios it doesn't mean and listen joe excuse me some people have a very innate ability in this area mm-hmm. there are there are in, innate salesmen you follow yeah no training they just don't have any training mm-hmm. but those are probably one in a million <laughs> <laughs> literally um or the geniuses we've seen you know the steve jobs the this is and that is the come up but for instance he didn't survey anybody yeah no you follow me absolutely he, 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 as a matter of fact he thought the opposite i i make stuff they, people don't know what they need and want i read his book mm-hmm. i make i make up what they need and want well okay <laughs> we're not all like that <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, am i answering the question here about the aggressiveness or uh, the front desk absolutely and i think you know we did, what was great about this is we we kind of touched on every little point about a practice about you know marketing of that practice about the sales aspect of that practice and even to every employee of that practice you know so the difference is we we could look at it and say okay it's the owner's job and you know and i meet a lot of owners that you know they they wear a lot of hats and sometimes they go to their own staff and they ask their staff for insights on marketing or insights of how to do sales or insights of, hey, how should you respond to this at the front desk? And that's the wrong person to go to, obviously, right? You can't go to your employees to get insights on how to run your company. So what we did here is we kind of went through each aspect for of the, you know, of the clinician, of the owner, of the, uh, of the front desk, of the person that collects your money, and, you know, and gave, gave a little bit of tips on, on each one, you know, and to go back to the very beginning where we discussed about, you know, um, the, the steps of, you know, first is the marketing, then it's the sales, and then it's the close process. 
which is, I think, you know, one of the biggest takeaways when, you know, um, and anyone trying to figure out how to make sure they're doing it correctly, right? And that's, I think that's the biggest fear most of these uh, practice owners have is, are they doing it correctly? You know, obviously, um, the biggest question I get all the time is, hey, you know, I need help with social media marketing. And I'm like, you know, social media marketing is, it's it's just internet marketing now. It's not social media marketing. Everybody's on it. So it's, it's something, it's just basic marketing now at this point in time. But knowing the the steps that you just described of knowing your marketing first, knowing your sales second, and your close, uh, and it ties into each aspect of it because you can market all you want. You can get everyone to call your office, but if that front desk person doesn't answer the phone correctly, we're in a different, uh, <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> yeah, this, they're, 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 listen, you, you can waste all your marketing efforts, by the way, by the time it gets to the quote unquote sales area, and marketing efforts cost money, and that person doesn't deal with that, we'll call it lead or prospect in sales properly, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a waste. So that person has to really be drilled and practiced on how to handle the, those things. If, can I touch on two more things in the communication area? Absolutely. Okay. Th these are broad. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised sometimes, and it's just that the practice owner doesn't know. One of the most important things for an owner of, or the leader of any group is to establish the goals and the purposes of that group that's above anything else because it's the goals and purposes that lead the group somewhere and if they're not there is a communication tool they don't know where they're going you know I've, I've done staff surveys I've read a couple thousand staff surveys over my years mm -hmm. And I'm so surprised at the, I don't know where we're going in the next year or five years. The owner hasn't really told us. Then you talk to the owner and the owner doesn't really know how to write goals. They think goals are a vision statement. No, vision statement's different. So goals and purposes are extremely important to clarify in a group and the goals have to be big enough that they're exciting. It, a goal can't be um, the best practice in the city and, um, you know, we're viable and we're, we're making money and everybody's, you know, making a good living. That's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> so the goals have to also entice the group to be led forward to wherever they're going. Um, that's, an important, so that's an important thing. So I just want to put that message out. Very important to write out the goals and the purposes. What are the purposes? The difference in purposes. The purposes are more uh, tied into um, sub-areas, like the purpose of the front desk, the purpose of therapy, the purpose of marketing, the purpose of collections, the purpose of you know an executive. Those are not goals. Mm -hmm. You follow? Yeah. They're called purpose. Goals are big. And last, I mentioned marketing and sales. There's a prior step to both that a lot of people don't know about, which is called PR. Okay. You're supposed to, yeah, you're supposed to do PR first. You're supposed to do marketing second, and then you do your advertising and sales third. If you're having trouble with your marketing, more than likely the PR hasn't been done because it's a sequence. You follow? Mm -hmm. One thing that anyone can do to improve their business is in PR, the most important tool is what's called a third-party endorsement. 
that is the tool used in pr what is that listen people are not going to listen to me joe about my consulting company i mean you know what for they know that i want business right yeah but but they'll listen to a client you see as a matter of fact before we ever bring on anyone as a client we don't we will not get that client aboard unless they've talked to at least three to five references so that they can find out from people that we've worked with hey do these guys really know what they're doing well if you want to improve your marketing and your sales or any practice start gathering up third-party endorsements and i i'm glad to see that a lot of folks are doing this now get videos you follow success stories testimonials uh if you need to hire people get videos of your staff what's it like to work here right and uh get those promoted um in the in the proper places because people uh you as you know people are 600 times more likely to look at a video than read text that's a survey item 600 times that's a big deal um it's a video world there's no doubt about it so when you get in your pr by the way the definition of pr per the textbook the textbook is called effective public relations written in the 50s it is the bible of pr is it's it's um good works well publicized that's all pr is it's not sales <laughs> it's getting your good works publicized what you do for people getting it known now why is that before marketing well if a community or a group of doctors or somebody is receiving only the good works you do and going wow look at this hmm, well that's wow look at that that's great and then they receive a marketing piece or a flyer or a promo piece you've sort of already greased the wheel you follow absolutely so pr a lot of people neglect it and it is the beginning of making money <laughs> i think i think a lot of people what they do is they mix pr and marketing together and they they kind of just they kind of just blend it in and unfortunately you know you get the um you do get the sales reps and the companies out there that say okay we're going to do pr for you well what's pr well we're going to do a pr release so the average person and this is every clinician they think a pr is just doing a pr release and just you know putting it blasting it out to the world somewhere and um is that story really you know something that everyone wants to read i mean you kind of said something very very important that i hope the audience takes away and uh pr is is as simple as just getting third-party endorsements or third-party testimonials which you know if they're not collecting now they they better start collecting and uh, a third party testimonial is a google review or a yelp review and those reviews are a gold these days because almost every client that walks into our front door if it's not from a physician is from the internet and they based uh, they base it on google reviews or yelp reviews and say you know this is we we come to, and when you ask that patient how did you find us well, you know, you had such great reviews online and, you know, it puts a smile on my face when I hear that because I know that, hey, I did my job. <laughs> you know, I did, you know, they, they've they heard the others speak. I've asked the others to make sure they say, you know, explain their experience of how they, um, what they went through during treatment or at the facility or with the staff. 
Um, so I really like that. But the I think the added thing that you added, which we didn't, we have not done, is videos of the staff saying what's it like to work here. I really like that. I think that's something even I'm going to implement. Like I said, I always learn something in every conversation I have, and that's kind of my takeaway today. I think that's something that will be huge for the staff to do to say, you know, this is what this is exactly what it's like to work here. And this is what you you would experience while you're here. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, I know we've. It seems like I've taken up a lot of your time here, so I don't know what where we would go at this point. Or... No, I, uh, Craig, I'm super grateful for this. I'm, I'm thankful we've covered uh, a whole bunch of topics. Um, you know, I just want to end off with, you know, if you can leave your contact information because there's so many people that are probably listening to this right now, working out or driving their car, and they're going to say to themselves, you know what, I would like more information about survival strategies or I would even like to learn more of the stuff that Craig is doing. So if you could leave your contact information or a link to your material, that would be great for them to reach out to you. Okay. Well, they can go to survivalstrategies.com. And funny enough, when they go to the homepage, there's a video of third-party endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> Starting out with Dr. Kostopoulos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's about a six minute, there's about 130 videos, no more than that now, about 150 videos of clients on our YouTube channel, which you can get to. And then there's a contact form, it just there's a button, you know, call to action. You, you can look at the video if you wish, uh, or you can punch around, or you can just click the, con the contact button. We'll get it, uh, we'll email you, we'll call you back. The number here is 818 276 1,000, okay? And, and I got to tell you guys, this was probably one of the most amazing interviews that I conducted. We got so much information. I know this interview ran really long, but that's the that's the beauty of this because sometimes it's going to be very short, maybe 15 minutes, and sometimes it'll run an hour. So I'm Super excited that you got a lot of information, you got a lot of details. We went from marketing to leadership to communication to PR and marketing to even a public speaking. There were so many aspects of this. Again, guys, the concept of this podcast is 30 and 30. So you can take 30 aspects, you can take one. But what I want you to do is I want you to work on just one of them for the next 30 days. Okay, guys, super excited that you're a part of this journey with me. Any questions, shoot me an email at joe at drjoesimon.com. More than happy to answer any of your requests, any of your emails. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look up Joe Simon and Dr. Joe Simon, I mean, and you will find me on LinkedIn. Again, guys, thank you again for listening. Please leave me a five-star review on iTunes and as well on Anchor. Look forward to the next episode. It's going to be amazing as well. Talk to you soon, guys. Be well.